This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment. They pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company, making apparel for their first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. You could also find them or email them at Line11Clothing at Yahoo.com. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Our guest today is none other than John Finch. John is the founder of the Father Effect Ministries. He is also the creator and storyteller of the Father Effect movie and book. His mission is to help men become the fathers God created them to be and build a great legacy for the generations that follow them. He has been married for 25 years to his wife, Michelle and has three amazing daughters, Ellie, Brooke, and Sydney. Welcome to the show, John. Such a pleasure to have you on here, brother. Thanks for having me, brother. I look forward to it, man. This is something I've been looking forward to for, for a few days here. Absolutely, man. It's such an honor to finally get old of you and finally get you on here. Um, can I have you give our listeners a brief history of your family of origin, your father and mother, and growing up a little bit, John, if you don't mind? You bet. You bet. So a big part of my story is, is really learning more about my father and how he grew up and, and his origins. You know, my dad committed suicide on April 10th, 1979, and I was 11 years old. And that was obviously an event that just, tra- you know, tragically transformed my life. And so for 30 years after that, I just kind of wandered through this, through this world lost, you know, not knowing that uh, I had what it takes to be a man, not getting that affirmation and confirmation from a father. And so I literally just bought into everything that the world says you need to be as a man. And it was about 10 years ago that that after that 30-year run of just being angry and, and really had this wound of abandonment and betrayal because of my dad, I was angry at him because he left me, and I was angry at God because God allowed him to leave me. You know, that was my thinking. Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of all that, for 30 years, I just was angry, and I medicated that anger with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a traveling salesman, had an unlimited expense account, was traveling all over the country, and so I was this different guy on the road than I was at home. I was that guy at home where just doing the best I can to pretend to be somebody that I really wasn't, pretend to be this good Christian guy who you know, uh, went to church every Sunday and had this amazing family and and the, the truth was I was covering up a lot and hiding from a lot. So mm-hmm. about 10 years ago, God just took me to this place of brokenness, bro, and, and it's a place he had to take me because I was having too much fun running from him. Mm-hmm. And, and in the midst of that, he just really showed me that 
you know, it was one sentence. It was one thing. It was how could I be so bitter, resentful, and angry towards a man who didn't know how to be a father? Mm-hmm. And and it was in the journey that he started me on in in trying to, to learn more about my dad and kind of connect the dots and figure out why he was so messed up and why he suffered from depression. And, and the more I learned, you know, his mom had five different husbands. He never had a stable father figure. The more I learned, the more compassion God gave me for my father. Mm-hmm. And and eventually that anger turned into to really a compassion. And and when God showed me ultimately forgiveness for my for my father, it radically changed my life as a man, husband, and father. And so uh, it, it, the part that I think everyone needs to understand, and this is something that was really a pivotal moment for me, mm-hmm. is my dad could not give what he did not have. Yes. And, and for me, that was it. Understanding and coming to realize that, that was the game changer for me. And, and, and again, that's what helped turn that anger into compassion. And now I think of my father with nothing but love uh, because of the, the wounded and flawed man that he was. Mm-hmm. I think once we look at our fathers through that lens like you did we're able to find that compassion that we need to you know what i mean um that anger that resentment it just eats at you as a man it you know yeah and you know what it 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 is that kind of that adage of you know it's like you know you drinking poison expecting someone else to Mm. feel the pain right it was the the unforgiveness was killing me and it was the anger was seeping out in every aspect of my life with my family, with my kids, with my wife. I mean, I was a wreck. Mm-hmm. And and it was all a result of this abandonment and betrayal that I felt from my father. Hmm. You know, and, and so many fathers out there uh, can just uh, just share with the same testaments. You know what I mean? They, I mean, this resonates with so many of us out there. I mean, even with myself, you know, with my father. You know, my father was always there, right? But he was the distant dad. He was the checked out dad, you know, and, you know, he was he was abusive, you know, by today's standards, it'd be considered abusive. And, uh, you know, I always couldn't understand, couldn't understand at all. You know, here's this man who loves me. But, uh, you know, does the things that he does, you know what I mean? And, um. That was hurtful. That was hurtful to uh, to see that. But like you said, you have to get past. You have to see them through a, a different lens and see that they could only give you what they got. You know what I mean? And if they didn't get what you're looking for, then you're not going to receive that from them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A, a big piece, too, you know, in the, in the journey that I was on in, in making the movie and writing the book was mm-hmm. – um, understanding also, and this is what every man needs to understand, mm-hmm. is this, this principle of transference. So many men, they take what their earthly father is like to them, and they automatically transfer that to what their heavenly father is like. Mm-hmm. And you missed that kind of, the, if it's that distant, aloof dad who just, you got to go to him if you really need him, mm-hmm. then you, you automatically put that image of your earthly father, because it is your first introduction to what a father is mm-hmm. you automatically think god's that same way and so if it's the over over military disciplined style dad who's 
you do this, you do that, just because I said so, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Didn't you think God's a, kind of the same way? I mean, you know, the uh, the thing I've struggled for many years is just thinking God's this, this guy up there, a judge with a gavel, mm-hmm. and he's just waiting to pound me. <laughs> you know, he's just waiting right. to, to, to punish me next time. And so understanding that the way I love my wife, mm-hmm. right, is the way my girls, my three daughters, are going to expect to be loved by a husband. Mm-hmm. And if I'm verbally or physically abusive in any way, or just the body language, the tone I use, I walk in a different awareness now because of what I've been through and what I've seen, mm-hmm. and now I'm, I'm, I'm doing things differently, you know, in, mm-hmm. in helping, hope, hopefully and prayerfully helping them see that I'm not perfect, they mm-hmm. know it, but that I'm doing the very best I can as a father and a husband to to give them that example of what that, that godly man and husband looks like. Mm-hmm. And once again, just such a powerful testimony, John. It truly is for you to be able to open up and share with our audience about your father, you know, his death and how it affected you. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the earliest memories? Because I, I know you lost your father when you are 11. So what are some of the earliest memories of your father, and what was he like? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, when God started me on this journey, I, uh, I broke down. I was like, man, i got to get a professional. i got to go see a counselor, a Christian counselor. And so I found a guy, and I, I, the dude was just so solid. Mm-hmm. He loved me when, when he, I needed it. He also encouraged me. He called me on my bluff. <laughs> you yeah. know, when I was trying to beat around the bush or not go there. And he really helped walk me through these doors that I would have never walked through if it wasn't for him. And I believe God brings those people into our lives, right? I needed that guide to help me kind of through the journey. And he asked me that question in one of the sessions, and and I it hit me. And I remember literally getting emotional and crying mm-hmm. because I didn't have any memories of my father. The the only – as far as one-on-one doing fishing or hunting or throwing a baseball or any of that stuff, mm-hmm. the only memory I had – was crawling up in his lap as a little boy and just he was a smoker rolled his own cigarettes prince albert i mean and he had holes in his shirt from just ashes falling down and i remember just crawling up in his arms sitting he would sit in a chair and i'd crawl up in his arms and just that smell mm-hmm. you know that that smell of what i thought a man was supposed to smell like you know a combination of yeah. probably cigarettes beer and sweat and whatever else mm-hmm. and, and so really that 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 was another moment for me in, in counseling that I was like, wow, I have no memories of my father other than just that. And so, you know, he was gone a lot. Even when he was alive, he was gone a lot, uh, wasn't really there emotionally or physically. And so that was something that, you know, I had to come to understand and, and figure out how to deal with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things I always ask our guests about their dads is, was your father a show me dad or a tell me dad? I know that's uh, it's kind of an awkward question, but you know it's it's one I always like to try to figure out. You know what I mean and ask the question about that. You know, so what's interesting about that, and and, and again, it's it's mm-hmm. the generational thing, right? Of mm-hmm. of how we grew up and our normal, and and as dysfunctional as our as our normal might be, it it is our normal, mm-hmm. and so. In, in the midst of all, what I remember growing up, and I remember him saying this, mm-hmm. and I hope this answers the question, but I remember him saying, 
little kids are supposed to be seen and not heard. Hmm. And that has stuck with me all these many years. So I don't remember, again, because I don't have a lot of memories of him other than mm-hmm. crawling up in his lap, but I, it, I believe he was probably uh, maybe a combination of the two, mm-hmm. um, two types of dads. But it's, it's just interesting because I remember thinking, wow, even as a young man, that seems pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, little kids are to be seen and not heard. Uh, even as a young man, I just remember thinking that really hurt me deeply that he would continue to say that when me as a young boy was, I'm sure, craving attention and affirmation from him. And obviously I wasn't getting it from him. Mm-hmm. No, and, that, and that's 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 a uh, that's interesting that you said that, because that's that's a saying we use in the line trade. You know, me being a lineman, we used to always tell our apprentices, you're to be seen and not heard. You know, you're from the you're from the neck up. That's it. <laughs> you know, learn how to use that shovel. Don't talk. Don't nothing. Just for the first six months, you just learn how to use that shovel. That's it. You know. And uh, I remember as a young boy, the children were never allowed around the table where the adults were talking ever. Mm-hmm. You know, you were to be outside. You know, if the, if the adults got together around a big table, started talking, doing their adult thing, you better not even show your face around that table. You know, yeah, and that just must be a, like a generational thing where, you know, according to the time and stuff like that and everything else, you know what I mean? That just, you know, I think that's changed a lot now, you know, but I think it's uh, yeah. pretty interesting, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, back to the generational thing, and this, this kind of goes to that point I mentioned about kind of the normal. Mm-hmm. We live what, what was normal in our house growing up. We got to interview a prison inmate named Jose. Mm-hmm. Houston for the movie, and, and I remember him telling this story, and, and as, as extreme as it may seem to some, mm-hmm. it, it drives home this point that, you know, this young man said, man, John, when I was 10, 11 years old, my mom would send me down the street to drag my dad out of the bar. My dad would just be hammered drunk, and we'd make it back to the house, and he goes, I, be, I would sit there and watch my dad then both physically and verbally abuse my mom. Mm-hmm. He literally would beat my mom. And he said, so when I became 16, when I thought I was a man, so to speak, mm-hmm. guess what I started doing? He goes, I started drinking, getting drunk all the time, and I started physically and verbally abusing my mom. Mm. And you just kind of go, wow. But but that's what he knew. That's what he thought a real man was supposed to be, right? Yeah. That's what he thought a father and a husband was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And and so as crazy as that sounds to some, that was his normal. Mm-hmm. And so, again, for men listening to this and understanding, man, what you're doing every day, the little things, you're creating that normal in your home. And, and it's a matter of trying to walk in that daily awareness mm-hmm. of the influence and impact you have. Man, and that's so hard, too. I mean, it, it's a lot easier said than done, you know, just absolutely consistently just being aware. but. I've heard uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf say that it takes 62 days to create a habit. You know what I mean? So if you're pretty intentional about changing and being a good father, it, it, it is possible. It is, you know, but it takes Absolutely. that level of awareness. Um, I want to move on to the next question, John. Uh, how do you encourage men to face the wounds that they have suffered from their father? You know, I honestly, it's, it's a pride thing. Mm-hmm. For so many of us as men, here's the biggest issue I run into is 
most men are angry, and they can't even tell you why. Mm-hmm. And it comes back down to a father wound in many, many, many cases. And so just understanding, man, put your pride aside. Put all that junk aside. You, you want to see real change, transformation, freedom? It's about forgiving your father. And, and no matter what, how bad he was, what he did, again, going back to connecting the dots and learning a little bit more about him, I think God can open your eyes to some things and, and help you understand why he was the way he was. Mm-hmm. But as far as forgiving your father, I mean, that's something, the anger, the wounds you will carry around the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And it will impact your family, your relationship with your kids, your wife, and generations to come. It, unless you're the one in your family that stands up and finally says, you know what? No more of that junk, no more of that stuff, that generational thing. I'm going to find forgiveness from my father. I'm going to go to a counselor. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to reach out to buddies. Ideally, I'm a huge advocate of Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. So I think we need a professional in most cases for us to really get through the process and and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can also be as simple as, I, I and I recommend this all the time. It's it's a man who maybe the dad's still alive, and will still have nothing to do with him, or will still deny that he ever did anything wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I tell guys in that situation, look, just sit down and write your dad a letter, right? Mm-hmm. Write him a letter, a physical letter, written in pen, the old school way, you know, not an email, but a letter, mm-hmm. and just prayerfully and thoughtfully walk through the letter and tell him without personally attacking him. But tell him how he impacted you in your life and where he hurt you and, and all of the various things that you feel like you need to put on paper. And whether he accepts that letter and there's a change and, and it opens a door mm-hmm. to a conversation that can lead to redemption and reconciliation or not, it's still, in my opinion, and I've seen it happen with many, it's a therapy and a release that, wow, okay, now – I truly can move forward in forgiving my father. Because there's a lot of guys out there that that don't think they ever did anything wrong and need to be forgiven, mm-hmm. uh, when in reality they do. But, but you know, the only thing you can do as a man mm-hmm. is help fix you, right? Help yeah. get yourself healthy. You can't do it for your father or whoever else. You've got to do it for you and your family. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree with you 100%. Um, that was some good information about that, you know, writing of the letter, of course, because, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of guys out there, fathers, who don't believe that they did anything wrong, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. I mean, you know, do you think they actually forget? I mean, because, like, I'll be real with you, you know, my dad, he doesn't even remember some of the stuff, and it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't remember? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I wonder why that is. Well, I, I think a big part of it is that it does go back to that normal. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as men, we have this tendency, well, well, I figured it out on my own. He mm-hmm. can do the same. That's why we don't have conversations with our dads about how to deal with finances. What's it like to be married? How to how to treat a woman? We don't have those conversations because there's this pride ego thing with all men. Well, that's just a a rite of passage, which is so jacked up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's not a rite of passage not to know these things. A, a, a healthy, whole, godly father is going to have these real conversations with their son and walk them through 
to hopefully help them not make the mistakes they made. But I think there's a generation, especially of the older guys, that's, well, I'll figure it out. You can, he can figure it out him, you know, on himself, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it does go back to that, well, this was not my normal, and I'm okay. I, I'm a good man. So they think because it was their normal, again, not knowing what true normal is from mm-hmm. a biblical standpoint, they think their normal was okay. So then they think, well, I didn't do anything to my son. It's the way I grew up, mm-hmm. and I raised him the way I was raised. Does that make sense? No, oh, absolutely. And, it, and it's crazy that you said that because I didn't realize like I had a problem at all until it was pointed out by my own wife. You know, she's like, the way you speak, the way you deal with, you know, me and my daughter and, and our daughter is not okay. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And it wasn't really till I started looking into myself to see that I was doing the exact things that my father did. You know, the abuse, you know, verbal abuse, the thinking that women were, for lack of better words, not as important as men, second-rate citizens, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I know that's going to shock a lot of people, but, you know, I'm being open and honest, you know, because there's healing in that, and that's that's the way I treated my spouse, and I treated my daughter, you know, and I just thank God that he's allowed me to see where I've gone wrong. Dude, and here's the thing, and this is what, if, if guys are nothing else, man, this is this is the bottom line. Uh-huh. You're not alone, and you're not the only one struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I appreciate your your candor, because here's, the, here's what I see all the time is, until we start getting real and authentic and transparent and honest with one another as men, mm-hmm. we're going to continue to think we are the only ones messed up right we're only the only jacked flaw jacked up and flawed and perfect guys when you start having conversations with men and they see wow wait you struggle with alcohol wait you struggle with porn wait you struggle with whatever it is right Mm -hmm. throw your poison out there it's amazing the guys that come back go wow i thought i was the only one and the relationships and friendships that can come to come around that the real true band of brothers Mm -hmm. man that's what we need more of we've got to have Guys, and most guys don't have one or two really, really good friends that know all their junk, mm-hmm. that, that can talk, that they can call at 3 a.m. when they're tempted to do something they shouldn't do or they're on the ledge and, you know, they need to be talked off. We've got to get back to that. Mm-hmm. We've got to get to the, the real authentic conversations of what we as men all struggle with. And so understanding that and knowing that mm-hmm. – Man, that's what it's all about. This conversation, you talking about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. man, that's what every guy's going through. Many, many guys are struggling with the exact same thing because of this generational thing and how they were raised mm-hmm. and what their fathers taught them. No, and, and man, once again, you're, you're so right on everything right there. Um, I think, John, that... That's why there's such a high rate of suicide amongst men is because they don't have these avenues. They don't have the guys, you know, they put on a facade. You know, I'm a tough guy. I don't cry. I don't need help. I don't need counseling. I don't need anything. I'm going to deal with it internally. And then two months down the road, I'm going to take a a 45 in the wood shop and shoot myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I've had two, two lineman friends 
within the last five years who have committed suicide over mm. beef with their their spouse or ex-spouse over their son. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, it's a shame, you know what I mean? Because they couldn't open up. I mean, all the signs were there. I mean, the drinking, the alcohol, the abuse, uh, you know, all these signs that were there, right? And they masked it as, I'm a lineman, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And next thing you know, they're pulling the trigger. Yeah, you know, and that's part of it, too. Isolation mm-hmm. is is man's greatest enemy, right? Oh, yes. I, I truly believe that. And I think, especially in the, in the last year and a half of what we've been through with the pandemic and all just the chaos, mm-hmm. it's only gotten worse because the enemy loves to get us isolated. When we're not in community and fellowship with other men, and again, real, authentic, no BS community where we can talk about these things, the honest truth of, of what we're struggling with and what we're dealing with, mm-hmm. when we're not doing that, the enemy gets us isolated, and he loves having us isolated, man. It's like the, you know, the picture I always get is the 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 TV of the like National Geographic or one of the the, the safaris over in Africa where you have all the gazelles running through, mm-hmm. and you have the tiger laying low in the grass, and what does he do? He waits till that very last one that's kind of struggling and limping along at the end of the line, right? He's mm-hmm. isolated, and that's the one he goes after many times. And I look at the enemy as the same way. Man, he, he wants us – he's going to do everything he can to get us isolated, make us feel shame, unworthiness, all that mess, mm-hmm. because he wants us to go isolate. He wants us to not open up and share with other people and talk through these things because, man, he, he's got us exactly where he wants us at that point. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. You're 100% on that. I mean, obviously, you know, in the wild, you know, we you – watching predators and stuff like that, they don't go after the healthy or the ones that are in a pack at all. And that isolation, you're absolutely right. When I know for me, when I'm isolated, because a lot of times I would withdraw, right? Um, And I don't even know why I would. It was just when I was dealing with stuff internally, I would withdraw away from my family. And I don't know if that was a defense mechanism to protect them because I didn't have the answers. And I, you know, a lot of times internally, if I don't have the answers, I deal with my shame and anger. Okay. Yeah. So I lash out. So if you come to me and you ask me and I don't know, I'm going to be like, well, I'll just flash on you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I've realized that about myself. So I would isolate. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I started doing this work to where I started saying, okay, well, I'm isolating because why? Because I think I need to protect my family because I don't want to flash on them because I don't have. And it's just this whole different way of looking at things to where you got to change it. You know what I mean? You start seeing these different patterns in your life. So It's a vicious cycle, bro. It it is. is. And here's the reality. And I've told my girls many times, I do not know. I have. You know what? I don't know. But let's let's go Google it. Let's go find out together Mm -hmm. what the answer is. You know, in, in a lot of cases, and some of it, they know. Here's another, you know, wow moment for me in the journey. Many of the wow moments I've learned is mm-hmm. man, just being real and honest with my kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, my 21-year-old and 19-year-old, even my 15-year-old, they know my, my stuff now. Mm-hmm. They know I, I've struggled with depression and continue to. You know, they know that they know my history. They know 
my struggle with alcohol. They know those those things about me, and and what it's done in sharing my own struggles, it's it's taught them a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. It's taught them that dad's not perfect, but man, he is doing the very best he can, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. he loves me more than anything. The second thing is, it helps them understand and know they don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. There's not some benchmark that they've got to live up to that of perfection and expectation from me that they're never going to attain. Mm-hmm. And that performance-based love is, man, it is such a tragedy. Oh, it is. And I see it everywhere with dads. It's this, you know, well, I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was going to be, so I'm going to live my life through my kids. There's, you know, a hundred different reasons for that type of mentality. But, mm-hmm. but for us to be real and have open, honest conversations with our kids, they want to know about us. They want to, They have an innate curiosity mm-hmm. to know what it was dad was like when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Right? What was his favorite ice cream? Who were his best friends? They love those stories. I'll share a quick story. Mm-hmm. I was laying down with my girls several years ago when I'd started this journey, and and we're laying down, and and they just asked me. We we're fixing to go to bed, and they asked me, "Hey, Dad, what was your, your first job?" So I go to tell them the story about having to dress up as the rat at Chuck E. Cheese, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <now laughs> I was hot. The head is like super big. And uh, their kids are pulling on my tail, and I mean, it was just like crazy. They're laughing. Three hours later, dude, we're still talking about my job mm-hmm. and growing up and what my dad was like and the memories I had of him and all these different things. Our kids want to know that we're more than just dad. Yeah. No, I I agree. That's that's funny that you said that because those are the stories that my kids ask over and over and over again i mean they'll even ask the same story like yeah can you tell us that time that you went camping and this and this and this and you know, yeah you know what i mean and it, it, it's so true they they love those stories you know um john i wanted to ask you what are some of the foundational tools you can equip men to become better fathers what do you think about that you know what, brother? I, I had this conversation with a guy on a, in an interview several years ago, mm-hmm. and for us as a ministry, we try to build that band of brothers. It's community, right? I think mm-hmm. I think we learn from other men, mm-hmm. and those of us who, who grew up fatherless, dude, that's the best way to do it. I I, I tend to have conversations, long conversations with older men because they've done their been. I mean, they, they've been there, done that, right? Yeah. They they've paid the dumb tax, if you will. They've mm-hmm. made all the mistakes, so I could sit and listen to those grandfatherly types forever because of the stories and just the wisdom they have. So in just trying to com- create community, real real community mm-hmm. among other men, connecting other men. That's really a, a big part of what it is that we try to do, mm-hmm. and I think it's important. You know, just as of 10 years ago, those fathers, uh, we didn't have the Internet, right, mm-hmm. or 15 or whatever the number is, but we didn't have the Internet to learn all these things. We had to tr- literally try to figure out on our own or, or lean into other guys. Well, now, man, there's no excuse for dads not to, to figure some things out. you got podcasts. you got YouTube. you got Google you got, you know, shows like yours, right? Mm-hmm. There's all these different materials and resources out there, so there's really no excuse for us as dads not trying to be better dads or find the answers in ways that we need to, to, to be those better dads. No, and, and, and I agree. I mean, there's so much information with the Internet. Um, 
like you said, just podcasts to YouTube to, you know, even us, we're, we're teamed up with the National Father Initiative, and we have the Fathering in 15, which is t- touching base on 15 different topics, and they take 15 minutes, and you can, yep. you can access it anywhere, you know, as long as you have yep. a, a computer, you know what I mean? So there's really no excuse, like you said, and uh, I think that I think that's one of the positive things with the uh, the media and uh, internet now at days, you know, that, that sure. tool being there for us. Um, now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, John, about your story. Okay, you said that you were, you had a lot of monetary success, right? You're a successful salesperson. Now, mm-hmm. with that monetary success, you know, and you're trying to fulfill a void that was in you, right? When did you realize that it wasn't working? Because I know a lot of guys out there who work, 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 work. They become workaholics, and they're trying to fill something inside of them. What was your Yaha or Yahoo moment for that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> dude, for me, it, it was a part of that time mm-hmm. when God took me to this place of brokenness. You know, I had mm-hmm. for so many years tried it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had become successful in, in all of the, the measurements of the world, right? Yes. I was making really good money, traveling all over the country, had an unlimited expense account. I mean, I was like, wow, I've made it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I thought. And yet, just like with so many men that I went into and, and coach, their their home life is a wreck. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things I think we've got to understand and come, come to change is, we have this desire and determination to be the very best, whatever it is we do for for uh, for a living, right? Yeah. Whether it's your janitor, CEO, a sales guy, whatever, you want to be the very best, and yet we don't take that same mentality in being a father and a husband. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, why, why is that? Well, I think most of us we grew up not having a model for, so we don't know how, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes back to what we we're talking about. Well, we got to lean in and figure it out. You got to get with other guys and figure it out. But for me, it was, it was literally, I had attained all the monetary success I, I thought or believed I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet my home life was a wreck. And so, you know, it was finally, and I tell people, you know, I think my full surrender was in that moment to God mm-hmm. and fully surrendering for the first time in my life that I had this wound and I had to get it figured out. I had to figure it out because of my behavior and all the things that I was doing. I knew were unhealthy and weren't right. Mm -hmm. But part of that was just thinking that if I could achieve everything on a monetary basis, that everything else would fall in line. And and that's one of the biggest lies that the enemy killed Mm -hmm. is that we, you know, if we do that, then we're good to go. When in reality, it doesn't matter how much wealth you have financially, Mm -hmm you're always going to want more. You know, it's never enough. It's never enough. I know very wealthy people mm-hmm. that continue to, to try to strive to make more and more and more money, and their home life and their marriage is just an absolute wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely you got to find that balance there for sure. Um, and then just just chasing after that buck, that's, that's one thing I, I caught myself doing. You know, is just chasing after the next storm or, or trying to make, you know, if I could just attain this, if I could just make this, this amount of money this year, you know what I mean? I, if I can make 200 K this year, I'll be fine. You know, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's not enough. It never is enough. You know what I mean? 
Well, and, and part of that, too, is, you know, most men, and again, this is partly generational, mm-hmm. we grow up thinking our only responsibility is to provide financially. Yes. We don't think that we're supposed to be a part of what's going on at home. We're supposed to, you know, we're thinking our, our wives are doing all that, raising the kids and mm-hmm. whatever. And I tell you, one of the most valuable pieces of advice I got on year, I got years ago was there's a book out there called The Five Love Languages by yes. Gary Chapman. Mm-hmm. And if you can tap in and figure out what your wife's love language is, bro. Dude, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> that's a game changer, man. And, and so many guys didn't, don't know about it. And I didn't know about it until I was probably in my 40s, right, mm-hmm. in the early 40s when I started this journey. And so if you can tap into that with your wife, mm-hmm. it's a game changer in a marriage, man. And, and that goes back to, to like my wife's a service. So if I'm working around the house, if I'm helping clean dishes and wash clothes and all that, mm-hmm. we're good to go. It's when I'm not doing that because that's her love language mm-hmm. that things get a little crazy, you know, and I'm not the best at it, bro. I'm no. not. <laughs> I still mess up and fail at it, but, but I know it and I know what I need to be doing and I do the best I can. And that's funny. Cause I, I read that book probably eh, about 10 years ago. Right. And, uh, we put it away and I, I completely forgot about it. And as we grow older, you know, as a couple and stuff like that, you change, you know, you start to change. Well, it wasn't until recently that I started really looking into what my wife's love language was and what mine was. And man, it, it's funny because I was doing it completely wrong and she was doing it completely wrong. Like the love language that I have is touch. I like to be physical touched. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I would do that to her. That's not her love language. Yeah. You know what I mean? She likes words of affirmation. Yeah. And for me, since I was always taught, you know, as a, as a young boy and stuff like that, you know, to kind of verbally abuse, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? And just being harsh with my words and stuff like that. I was destroying her, literally killing her. Yeah. I was like closing off. It's like having an oxygen hose. Uh, Dr. Emerson Egerich talks about uh, love and respect, right? And he talks about how your wife has this oxygen hose. And when you're not showing her love, you're literally are closing the hose on her and you're not giving her any oxygen. She's suffocating and dying. And that's what I was doing with my spouse. But I, unbeknownst to me, I thought I was doing the right thing because I was, you know, showing her how I like to be loved. Yeah, and I, dude, you know? I think that's what most of us do. We default yep. thinking that that's what our wives want, or there's this idea out there that because our wives are tender and loving and caring, that it's only uh, affection, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a lie. I mean, there's you know, there's like five, right? There's yeah. five gifts, and women are just. It, it's interesting. And again, you talk about a, a father. <laughs> I have more women reach out to me than I do men, mm. and a lot of them have struggled in their own marriages because of their father's story and the expectation that they've put on their husband mm-hmm. as a result. And, and some of them are expectations that they, that husband doesn't have a chance of, of attaining, right? Yeah. And and or the abuse and distrust of men. I mean, there's, you talk about, you know, things to unpack and, and all that, especially with, you, with, with a woman— but even for a man to understand a little more about his wife's relationship with her father, it's an important part of him understanding the full picture and what it is she needs and what her love language is all about. Mm-hmm. 
No, and I and I agree. I mean, once you start figuring out their history and their you know their family of origin, I mean, you that unlocks a big mystery <laughs> right there. You know, you can start yeah. seeing, and, and it's funny because one of the things I always like to tell fathers is that when we treat our spouse a certain way, we're teaching our daughters, correct? What mm. a man teaches, you know, or how uh, how a man should actually treat his wife okay and they're going to look yep. for that in another man right well that holds true to where women a lot of the times will marry somebody who is like their father mm-hmm. you know and i thought that was interesting and uh, i just want to share a story with you real quick um i haven't drank in over eh, i think like 11 years now okay and um the big turn turnaround for that for me was I was one of these guys who I'd come home, I'd drink a six-pack of Shinerbach coming out of Texas because I was working in West Texas on the power lines out there. And uh, I'd slam down a six-pack on the road, and then I'd have two miniatures of Maker's Mark. Well, I would come home, I'd go in the back door because my wife, being a very good wife, would have a six-pack already in the freeze, uh, refrigerator for me, right? So I didn't want her to know that I was drinking more. So I would go to the back and I would open up a beer real quick. And I acted like I was drinking that one. And that was the smell. Little did she know I was, you know, drinking a six pack and a couple of miniatures. Well, long story short, we had 15 acres of alfalfa behind us. And I'd be, you know, on the barbecue underneath the gazebo cooking and stuff. And I'd be, you know, slamming miniatures and throwing them over the fence and stuff like that. And came down to it to when irrigation season started uh one of the new neighbors who bought that property showed up with five gallon bucket of maker's mark filled (laughs) and my wife looks at me and she just shakes her head and i'm like whatever you know kind of kind of ashamed you know and um she comes up to me afterwards she's like look i'm not going to tell you not to drink i'm not going to be that wife but if you're okay with your daughter, and we only had our daughter at the time. She was she was young. She was like three. She's like, if you're okay with your daughter being comfortable with that smell and looking for that in other men, then that's on you. And wow. Brother, that hit me, and I stopped, and I've never had another drink since that day. <laughs> your wife is a stud, bro. That, I love that story. Cause it, dude, that, yeah. I mean, that if that's not a gut punch, what is, right? Oh yeah, no, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a, a big eye opener. You know what I mean? And uh, I'll never go back to to drinking like that. And I feel better, honestly. I we had a we we interviewed a doctor Meg Meeker who. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Meg. Yep. Yeah, dude, she is. I love her because she's a she's a female telling men exactly what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, she doesn't, you know, do it lightly. <laughs> she, and she's got the experience and the background and expertise to say it uh, and mean it and, and know that it's true. And, and one of the conversations I had with her, I'll never forget speaking with daughters and fathers. Mm-hmm. is she said, you know, John, many times I would have, she's a pediatrician by trade. Mm-hmm. And she said, many times I'd have a, you know, 13, 14-year-old girl come in my office, and he said, she said, originally, it was like 16, then it was 15, 14, 13, where these girls were coming in, and they were sexually active. It was getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, it's weird because 
I had more than one. There were probably a handful of 13, 14-year-old girls who would come into my office, mm-hmm. and I would give them a physical. And before they left, they would turn around and say, hey, doc, can you write me a prescription? And she'd say, well, honey, you're, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And the girl would say, please just write me a prescription. And at the bottom of it, put cannot have sex. She said, John, what was going on is these young girls were having sex. It wasn't physically or emotionally pleasurable, but it was the only affection they were getting from any kind of man. Mm -hmm. They weren't getting any positive fatherly affection from their dad. Mm -hmm. And this was their their permission slip to take to Johnny to say, hey, Johnny, I can't have sex anymore. Wow. And that, you know, as a guy with three daughters, and I'm early on in this journey, you know, mm-hmm. probably eight years ago of the 10-year journey, and I'm sitting in front of her interviewing her, and that just, like, hit me. I was like, wow. That's that's the repercussions of us as men mm-hmm. not loving our daughters and not them knowing that they're cherished, that they're valued, that they're loved. Mm-hmm. And so that was, yeah, and there's several of those stories throughout the journey, bro. And that was that was one I remember going back home and going, okay, honey, talking to my wife, I've got to figure this thing out and, and let my girls know that they are loved and, and that there's nothing they can do to make me love them any more or any less. And wow. Yeah. That, I mean, just stories like that are just, if that doesn't get you, <laughs> nothing will. I mean, sure. wow. I mean, just, just me having one daughter who's, you know, a teenager now and, you know, 15 and, I'm just so thankful that I've been able to regain the trust in her that I had lost, you know, just being on the road, you know, I was gone for the majority of her life, you know, and, uh, it's been a long journey, but it's just through patience, watching my words and being the man that I say I am to her and, and seeing that consistency day in and day out. You know, when you I, know, uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it, and I, due to that point, I think you hit on a point that every man needs to understand. Mm-hmm. And, and this, again, this was uh, a lesson I learned along the way. Even when we mess up, even when we say something we shouldn't say, all those things for us to have a conversation with our kids. Mm-hmm. And I do it in a private manner. I'll go upstairs with my daughter, just me and her, when I've lost my temper, said something I shouldn't have said or acted in a way I shouldn't have acted. And I tell them, look, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. I was having a bad day. Or, or tell them, be honest, mm-hmm. you know, why you lost your temper, why you, whatever. Be honest and just say, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. And our kids are so forgiving, right? They're a lot more forgiving than we think. Mm-hmm. And that does two things. That helps your, your kids see that you're not perfect because mm-hmm. they're going to find out, <laughs> right? Right, right? None of us are. But it also helps them understand and know they don't have to be perfect. Right. Yes. And so in those conversations, in those intimate apologies, sometimes tear tear filled apologies, man, that that has taken my relationships with my daughter to another level. And believe me, I I am a pretty jacked up dude. Right. Mm-hmm. And imperfect and flawed steel. I still mess up. So I still have those conversations. I don't think I have to have them as many times as I did before, but. It's in those conversations where we can apologize and ask them for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Man, that does so much for our kids. It does, and it's like a two-part, too, because 
when they see that you can be that, that you're responsible, right? One of the core values here at the uh, show of dead foundation is being committed, responsible and intentional and being responsible is being able to say, Hey, I, I messed up, you know, whether yep. that be at work or at your home with your children or your wife, you know, be like, look, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm not perfect. And what that does that I've seen in my life is that it takes away that edge. You know what I mean? Where they think like a performance-based household we're talking about right earlier, it takes away that edge to where they don't got to be perfect. You know, because yeah, and they know they know that they can come to you and admit yes. when they messed up, right? Exactly, exactly. And children have that uncanny, uncanny ability of getting your attention when they need it. You know, whether it be good or bad. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So if they can trust you to call you and say, "Hey, Dad, I drank some beer or whatever. Um, I don't want to drive. I'm here alone. Uh, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Can you come pick me up?" Yeah, that builds that trust to where you can go and get them, you know, versus them, you know, saying, oh, my dad's going to kill me. I'm going to jump in the car with this person. And then, you know, later on you find out that they were in a car with a drunk driver. You know what I mean? How many times has that happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. All because they didn't trust you and they're afraid of what you're going to say. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read you this quote. It's James Carroll. Okay. And he said that the curse of fatherhood is distance. And that good fathers spend their lives trying to overcome it. In what ways have you seen fathers struggle with physical or emotional distance, John? Yeah. Uh, as it, you know, are you talking about as it pertains to their own family or their fathers? Their own, their own family. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's, there's so much that, that can be talked about there mm-hmm. uh, with with emotionally distant father. And this is I had this question posed to me years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what what's harder, the the father that wounded you that's still alive or the one that's dead? And in mm-hmm. in honestly, in my own case, I was like, well, mine's dead. I don't have that that daily reminder of him. Mm-hmm. Right? I can forgive him and move on. It's the dad that's still alive that denies he ever wounded, denies he ever did anything wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think in understanding if you have a father that's still distant or if you're a distant father to your kids themselves, mm-hmm. man, it's never too late, bro. Mm-hmm. It's never too late to ask for forgiveness, to start again, if you will, mm-hmm. to forgive your own father, mm-hmm. right? But from a father who is who is distant emotionally or physically in the family, you know, our, our kids see us and they're watching us. They're a lot more observant than we think. Mm-hmm. And so many of us as dads, especially the divorced dads, they think that when they have their time with their kids that they've got to go spend all this money and do all these crazy things and mm-hmm. just make it a blast every time they're around them. Man, our kids just want to be with us, Yep. right? And they want to know that we want to be with them. So whether it's reading a book, grabbing an ice cream cone, whatever, it's making the most of the time that you're there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not not rehashing the past or looking back, I should have been this, I should have been that, or I haven't been a good father. Put all that trash aside and start today. Every day is, mm-hmm. a, is a new opportunity to be a great dad, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it goes back to those conversations. Mm-hmm. It, it's If you've been the distant dad physically or emotionally, have those conversations with your kids, man. The real honest conversations of, look, I've messed up. Mm-hmm. 
I have messed up. I've done this. I've done that. Whatever. And, and walk back through some of your own stories with your father and how you've learned it and what you've done. And, and again, in those stories, I think our kids start to see that we're human. Mm-hmm. And they start to have a compassion and an understanding about the way – why we are the way we are. You know, if they hear a story about your dad leaving you when, when you were young and you're trying to figure everything out, a lot of the mistakes that you make, your kids will see and understand, well, man, my dad didn't have a dad. Mm-hmm. He, he's just – he's winging this thing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, again, whether emotionally or physically distant, there's just in those honest conversations with our kids. Man, they can do so much. Just put the pride aside. Mm-hmm. Put the man up, suck it up, figure it out on your own aside, and just have an honest conversation with your girls or your boys. Mm-hmm. I like that. Now, that's that's some good advice right there, John. Um, I always like to do some stuff here, you know, coming down the last, you know, 20 minutes or so. I have questions that come in from our audience. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just read them off to you and pick your brain a little bit, John, if you don't sure. mind. Okay. You bet. Well, uh, let's see here. This one came in. Uh, Children often believe that life events happen or are caused by something that they did or thought they should have done. Did you ever think that the tragic loss of your father was ever a fault of yours? And how did you overcome that or reconcile it in your life? That's a question that came in from the audience. Yeah, so great question. Um, You know, a part I didn't tell you about in my story Mm-hmm. About two weeks before my dad killed himself, I actually found the gun that he killed himself with. Oh wow! I was, uh, you know, again, eleven years old. I was digging around in his closet, looking for something. And I stumbled across upon this shot off, shot off shotgun. Mm-hmm. And within about thirty seconds, I'm just still kind of in awe because I'm a young man. I see this gun, right? Mm-hmm. And within about thirty seconds, I hear this voice over the top of me, "Son, don't you ever tell anybody you found this. Now get out of here." And so once he committed suicide, man, as an 11-year-old boy, kids already believe that a lot of things that happen to their families, whether the mom and dad get divorced or whatever the the circumstances, Mm -hmm. that there's something they could have done or it was because of them that this happened. Well, you you take and stack that story of me finding the gun he killed himself with two weeks before he did it. I had this incredible guilt and shame that, that if I would have only said something to somebody, if I'd only told my mom, that type of thing. And so, you know, I came to understand and the journey of all of it is is people are going to do what they're going to do, right? I, I think even if I had told somebody about the gun, my dad would have found another way or he'd have found another gun, right? Yeah. If, if he wanted to do what he did, he would have found a way to do it. And I think what's important here is, especially for those that are, that are maybe divorced, and in with circumstances and tragedies that come up in the family, is to make sure to have conversations. Because I tell divorced dads this all the time: make sure you're having the conversation with your kids, and they know this has absolutely nothing to do with them. This is an issue between me and their mom. You know, it has nothing to do with them because kids will take that pain on. Mm-hmm. They'll take that load and that burden on, thinking it's something they did. So we've got to have those conversations with our kids so they understand and realize it's not their fault. And so for me, it it was really God. It was him walking me through that and helping me understand, you know what, it it had nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. My dad was going to figure out a way to do it one way or the other. So 
yeah, that that but that's something I, I carried around for a long, long time. And I even carried around the shame and guilt of thinking people as I was walking around the small town I grew up in that people were looking at me and whispering, Hey, there's the there's the kid whose dad killed himself. Mm. You know, so so getting beyond that and, mm. and understanding, man, God loves me just the way I am. All mm. the faults and all the all the, the the scars and everything and all my mess ups, man. God loves me. God's grace is bigger than I than I ever imagined it was. Hmm. No, that's that's awesome, John. Um, one of the things that a, a friend of mine always says is, when you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. Yep. And it it's so true. Once you realize that who you belong to and whose child you really are, and what he truly says about you. That shame can't exist. You know, um, one of the things that shame does is it likes to thrive in darkness, right? So it hates being exposed, you know? So once we expose that shame and, you know, you start working on it, it can't exist anymore. Yeah, dude. And and I think to your point, too, a lot of guys are. They walk around because, again, either growing up fatherless or having an abusive father or whatever, uh, you, you kind of asked this question a while ago, but what I would recommend, too, for, for men, and again, mm-hmm. put the pride down, put the ego down, put all that mess aside, and find an older man that, that can literally mentor you mm-hmm. on manhood. There's a lot of young men out there that don't know how to be a man, don't, doesn't know what it looks like to be a man, right, mm-hmm. a godly man. And so to ask a man, an older man, hey, man, can you just kind of mentor Can we grab lunch once a month mm-hmm. and those type of things? And you, ha- you find that man that's going to speak all the stuff into you that your dad didn't, mm-hmm. that's going to encourage you, that's going to help you understand that you do have what it takes to be a man mm-hmm. because that's what everybody, every, every man wants. That affirmation, man, that, that's a game changer itself. Just finding that, that man that can help mentor you mm-hmm. as both a man, husband, and father. Absolutely, and there's there's not enough mentors out there, you know what I mean? But you are truly a mentor, John, and I just want to thank you for coming on here and just sharing your wonderful story with us, John, and uh, just being so open with us, and I know this is going to bless so many people out there, especially all the hardworking fathers out there that are providing for their family, you know? Dude, um, I, I appreciate you, brother. I thank you for letting me come on and share a little bit of my story and and after it's all said and done i say it all the time dude i, I am just blessed to be on the bus god's driving it, it is all god amen i agree brother uh john can i have you give our listeners a, where they can uh get a hold of you you know what i mean if they're sure. looking for you okay thank you yeah so we've got our website is the father effect the father effect.com and you can find me all social media Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everything by that name. So that's that's the best way. Awesome. Once again, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. God bless. Thank you, my brother. You bet.